0: Welcome to the Molecular Moments Podcast. In today's episode, we sat down with our guest, Dr. Ashton Savavi, whom I know best as a bioanalytical thought leader and founder and board member at Bioanalytics. Afshin's a founder, consultant, board member, serial entrepreneur, investor, and councilman. He's a friend to everyone who's ever met him. And I don't know when I first came to know Afshin, but I certainly consider myself fortunate that I did. Today, we got to hear the story of BioAgeLytics founding and even more importantly, his thoughts for the future of the company. I hope you'll enjoy our conversation as much as I did. We're talking science as scientists do. So without further ado, here is another episode of Molecular Moments. Welcome to the podcast, Afshin. I'm delighted to
1: have you join me today. Can we start with you giving us a few highlights from your career? First of all, Chad, uh, it's great connecting with you again. Uh, thank you for having me on this podcast. And I look forward to be talking to you and tell you a little bit about my background, as well as uh, connecting with your audience. A little bit about my background. From a career perspective, I, start, I got my Bachelor in Biochemistry from UCLA. From there, I moved to uh, University of Kentucky Medical School and received my PhD in Biochemistry and then Emory University for a two-year postdoc. The academic life setting was not necessarily for me. I realized that um, early on, and I uh, started, you know, again, looking for uh, positions in the industry. And I got lucky, and I ended up, you know, as my first job, working for a company that at the time was called iGen International. iGen International was working on a platform that is based on electrocheminuminescent and immunoassays. Eventually, I think a lot of the people that are listening probably to this podcast, uh, they know the company now today as Mesoscale Discovery, MST, that we run our PK and immunogenicity and biomarker and so on. That was a very you know great experience because as a scientist, I actually work with the engineers. From there, I moved uh, working for GSK, GlaxoSmithKline, Smith Klein, and you know, I stayed there for a short time, and it, I was working on uh, various assay platforms. That's where I really got my hands with on learning the different platforms, immunoassay platforms that were out there. Uh, but I realized actually that large pharmaceuticals are not necessarily my cup of tea. So I started working for a small startup company called Nobex, which we were in the business of pegulating peptides and hormones. And we work on a, all of insulin and calcitonin. After a few years being there, unfortunately, that was a, you know, that's one, you know, after phase 2B, we found out that the Pegulated insulin was bioavailable in dogs, but not in humans. So that was in sort of the end of that company. And then I moved to a, uh, to a Bayer Biological, one of the units for, for, for Bayer that um, used the plasma dry products. And that pro, you know, while I was there um, for about six years, that company changed hand from a German-owned company to a private equity, American-owned company called Telecris. And then eventually it changed hand to a Spanish-owned company called Grifols. So it was a very interesting times, and I was managing again a small team that looking at uh, preclinical, clinical assay development and outsourcing. Uh, worked for a short time, worked for a company called AI Pharma as a as a which is a CRO. And eventually in 2008, um, along with a couple other folks, um, I founded uh, Bioagulytics, and that's sort of you know. Uh, My introduction into being a founder and uh, setting up a company from scratch so um, i hope that provides a little bit more info
0: yeah and we're going to dive deep into the whole bioagility story so let uh, i wanted to put that on on pause for a minute and you know i'm interested in what got you into science there's uh, everybody has a story about why they're a scientist or what what fascinated them Uh, is there any story or anything like that that resonates with you maybe a couple even
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So, so you know, when I look at my, actually, I'm in the process of writing a book about uh, my childhood because I don't think I had the typical childhood that most people have. Maybe it's a little bit uh, comic, so that's why I think I'm putting it together. Hopefully, we publish it in a few months. But
0: it's actually a children's book,
1: right? It is sort of a children's book uh, from you know the memories of a 49 year old guy when he was four <laughs> or five year old. Right. So hopefully, uh, when it comes out, people are going to find it interesting. It, for me, I don't know if I was a typical kid or not a typical kid, but um, around the age of four or five, I started you know doing some crazy things. I would I would when the, my parents were not around, I would pretty much you know take some detergent and mix it with, with my mother's perfume and add beans to it and go collect some leaves and mix it. I just I was just curious to see what happens when you mix these different materials, the household or whatever that was around. Um, and see what happens to it. I mean, sometimes these, you know, a bottle of mixed perfume and detergent and beans would sit around the room for a, you know for a few weeks before it started really stinking the whole room. And and uh, and and my mother, of course, you know, would wonder, you know, what what happened to half a bottle of perfume, uh, you know, where did it go? So that was sort of, I guess, my my way of trying to you know um, satisfy my curiosity. Uh, but to, you know, fast forward, you know, probably a good twenty years or so, you know, I started really going to college uh, with the idea that I wanted to be an electronic engineer so I started taking all the engineering classes during the first you know f- semester second semester of college and once I got into uh, physics it was uh, my physics class electricity and magnetism uh, second semester of it and I realized that uh, boy you know becoming an engineer is not my cup of tea so so I, then I decided I want to become a dentist so I, I continued with my courses of course my science courses and I took a two month uh, class at at the time it was a summer program at UCLA of you know there were about 60 of us that we wanted to be dentists and they teach us how to make dentures and and it was interesting and I realized man I cannot be looking you know down somebody's mouth for you know eight hours a day and work in a small space so that was the end of my sort of you know desire to be a dentist and then I decided let me, let me want,
0: interrupt you though if yeah. you can't be a dentist you marry a dentist is you that, got it is I, that guess, I guess how it works <laughs> yeah I so
1: I did end up marrying a dentist and and uh, and my wife dr etissa Safavi and 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 so maybe maybe that that sort of was it was a fate, um, but I have to tell you, I just admire what she does every day. It's not something I can I can I can handle or do, you know. I decided then continue to going and uh, become a physician. So at UCLA, I was working uh, on weekends from eleven at night to seven in the morning, basically helping the the nurses. I was a nurse's assistant, and after five or six months, I realized, you know, still again, I love the healthcare industry, but I, I would just get too attached to the to the, to the. I would say patients and stories.
0: Yeah. yeah, Yeah. And and
1: it was just, it was just not again, something that I wanted to do. So, but the whole story of getting into the science started when, you know, I, I got a job eight, 10 hours a a week working in the lab of the, at a time, Dr. Charles West, he was the chairman of the department of biochemistry and, and I really got interested. I mean, the project that I was supporting and helping—of course, you know—as an entry level, I was washing dishes in the laboratory and supporting what the what the PhD students were telling me or asking me to do. Um, and one of the project was actually looking at proteins that are turned on when the, there is a huge temperature change. And it was it was a wild cucumber seeds that we would extract and it would you know what are these the changes in these proteins due to temperature would result in germination i thought that was the most fascinating thing and all my friends when i would tell them they thought i was the craziest guy that that gets me excited and and from there you know that's why i got you know, I went into, you know, decided to go to graduate school. And, you know, and I, I would also want to give the credit uh, to, you know, Dr. Lewis Hirsch. He was the chairman of the Department of University of Kentucky at the time. And, you know, he really mentored me for about five years. And that's where my passion started into assay development, enzymology, and protein purification. So I hope again, uh, it was a little bit longer, I guess, maybe the answer that you wanted, but I wanted to share that with you. Um, yes. Yes. Can you tell me a little more about those
0: early days at iGen and what, you know, what the concept was there? Because MSD is so broadly used today in our, in our industry. What, are there any early stories there?
1: You know, to, to be honest with you, I was actually working, um, with the family that I think started iGen was Sam Wallstatter, um, well-known entrepreneur. And it was a small company at the time with a couple hundred people. I was an entry-level scientist, my first job in the industry and sort of being thrown in the in the science of working now all of a sudden applying the science that I know, the molecular biology, the enzymology, all of a sudden working with engineers to come up with a device. It was uh, very eye-opening, it was exciting. And you know, th- 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 I think one of the things that excite me in general about smaller companies and not just iGen is that when there is a small team that that you know work with the same vision to make the impossible become possible and people with different background in terms of ideas and discipline coming together I found those early days at iGen extremely exciting of course you know when the once the instrument number one and two and so on they started rolling off the assembly line companies like GSK they wanted us to uh, you know, they wanted application scientists with a brand new instrument. Well, you know, you always got to work out the kinks in it, right? So I was sort of sent as my first job, along with the instrument number. I never forget instrument number 0002 included also a scientist option to go with the instrument for a year to GSK. So <laughs> it, it was, was a, it was a interesting. <laughs> it was sold. And and so it was just a great, great opportunity for me. Great learning opportunity. And my job was to, you know, compare at that time, the electrochemiluminescent technology with all the, you know, uh, the Luminex platform, uh, the homogeneous and, you know, time resolved fluorescence and, you know, the regular ELISAs and SBA technology at the time was pretty, the radioactive technology was pretty hot. So I really learned about the pros and cons of each one of these platforms. That's sort of led me to the rest of my career and then at Bayer I really learned about PK immunogenicity, biomarker, nap. And then I, and then at biogelytics, that's really I merged those two disciplines together and you know in the early days.
0: One more question about the the iGen and the early MSD. I'm I'm curious because I have an answer to this question in my head and I'm curious if I'm right. What was the number one challenge to making that instrument work uh, early? Like let's say instrument 002 when you you got to GSK and you needed to make it work. What was the number one challenge?
1: You know, I mean, the engineers at iGen were brilliant. Um, These were just such, such amazing people. They would right on the, you know, on the spot, they would come up with ideas as how to improve things. And as you know, with our first generation engine instrument, that didn't pan out really well. And, the, the, you know, that's why eventually eventually ran into, you know, MSDs and the cobuses from Roche and so on. So technology is very solid today. And I think, you know, what jumps at me when there was a problem, like the beads are clustered in one part of the surface, when the beads were not uniform, when, when all of a sudden, and and, and the solutions that we throw out there, the solutions were usually not the ones that were just really crazy solutions. It was like the simple one: change the salt concentration, you know, move from this buffer molarity to this this level of molarity. And I think I've I've always that sort of discipline. I've carried it on because when I actually today, it doesn't matter if it's a business solution that I need to come up with or if it's a scientific solution. I always try to, before I make things more complicated and come up with a complicated solution, I always want to go back and ask the fundamentals and the easy one. Are we sure about these fundamental solutions before we make the world more complicated for ourselves?
0: Occam's razor, right? Uh, look yep. for the simplest solution first. Exactly. Yeah. I thought you were going to say reagents. That, that was what I had <laughs> in, my, in
1: my head. Well, you sure know, salt and buffer yeah. are reagents. So. They are. They are. They
0: absolutely are. Yeah. Yeah. So, Avshin, I do really want to dive in deep on on the history with bioagilitics. And so you were at AAI and things were maybe a little tumultuous with AAI at the time. I remember kind of following them in the news. But then all of a sudden you say, hey, I think I'm going to start my own company. So tell me what got you going there.
1: Great question. And by the way, you know, I mean, um you know, and I'm involved with several different companies, but BioAgeolytics is something so close to my heart. I love this company. I love the people that work in it. And I think the culture there is, is and we're going to talk about that probably some more, but that's a company that is just, you know, every time I hear the name, I, I, it puts a smile on my face. The story around BioAgeolytics, you know, starts when, so when I was at, at, at Bayer, I would manage a small team of preclinical, clinical assay development. Of course, you know, being in a pharma or a biotech, you outsource a lot of that work. And at a time, you know, I was I was outsourcing several companies to some of the small, medium, and large CROs, uh, both preclinical and clinical. And the one thing that really I noticed was that this outsourcing business was a hit and miss process there was a lack of consistency doesn't matter. i mean if you got lucky and you got the got a good team for a particular project in a CRO you were golden but it didn't mean that the same team was assigned to the same project and it didn't mean that the same person you were talking over the phone would end up working on your project so it was really hit and miss process and over you know several years of outsourcing i started thinking about this that look there got to be a better way to come up with it with a CRO model and maybe it was a more of a, a, a sort of a utopian, uh, you know, desire to say we really can come up with it with a really uh, ideal CRO. And my the ideal CRO in my in my head was there's no reason that an employee I wanted the employee that comes into the CRO comes with a smile and motivated, that they know that I love going there and doing the projects. At the same time, you know they provide quality work, quality science, and that in return would result in returning and happy clients. And if, if at the time I was thinking, if I can set up a system, a process, that can that can be a cyclical uh, process, the company can grow. And, you know, to be honest with you, at the time I thought, well, you know, if I start a CRO like this, I grow it to probably about 50 to 100 people and maintain. It, I in, in you know not in my wildest dream. I thought that you know I'm gonna eventually come up you know, with, a, with a company that has several hundred employees in several you know in couple continents and so on. So that was the whole idea of of where BioAgile start brewing uh, brewing in my head. And 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 the key is you know then I in 2008 when we started BioAgiletics, the timing was you know maybe a little bit uh, interesting. You know, 2008. If you guys remember, uh, it was it was bad time. Uh, the banks basically would not give you any loan. It was uh, the former biotech start laying off their scientists. I'm talking about top notch scientists left and right. It was just not a, not a you know pretty time. And at that time, you know, um, I was actually part of the CED Council for Entrepreneur Development program in the, at the afternoon. I was taking classes. And I had some mentors, and these mentors were the ex CEOs and the CFOs of some of the companies that they 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 exited. And so, uh, it was really interesting eventually i partnered with one of the one of the uh, one of the instructors there uh, there was another scientist Matt langevin that had been with me for uh, for several years in several different companies and we started by agiletics with maxing credit card home equity 401k we somehow came up with about 250k and we started actually renting a u haul and as these farmons were were basically closing their doors or, or, or not closing their door. They were basically downsizing. I would go in there. I say, you know, and I would pick up these instruments. we would pick up these instruments and for, you know, for a small amount, you know, 5 cents or 10 cents on a dollar. And we started actually putting these in a, in a storage because, and then we started looking for a building and that's how bioagilists came to exist. And it was really, but, but here's the thing at the end of it, The reason, and we can talk about this some more, the reason BioAgilelytics has been so successful, because from day one, the culture that we put in there and the caliber of the people we brought to BioAgilelytics really set the the foundation and the pillars for what BioAgilelytics today and will continue to be, uh, you know, a successful CRO because of those early days.
0: So I got I gotta ask, how'd you come up with the name Bioagilix? Was that was that you? Was that Matt? Somebody else?
1: <laughs> it was a, a collective process, and we actually started writing, you know, writing some names down, and I mean, some crazy name. I actually printed some cards. I I, I looked at them. I found them a few days ago. It was called Biomarkum because we thought it was a biology and Markum is a biomarker, so Biomarkum. We came up with some crazy. Crazy logos and names initially. But the, the reason we really liked bioagiletics because we thought it sort of, um, you know, describes what we do. It's a biology, agility, and analytics. Biology part is easy because we actually are in the in the business of supporting, you know, uh, human and animal health. So that's, that involves biology. Analytics, we're a biocollaboratories. We do PK, immunogenicity, biomarker, NAV. So that, that's the analytics. The agility is the part, you know. It was pretty close to my heart because what I found when I was outsourcing, you know, in my previous life is that the, the, a lot of CEOs would would sign a contract and then it's like they would sit on it, or it, it, it was like almost like a plumber, right? You know, you you sign ten contracts, you, you you work on each one for a day, and that was something that I really did not did not like. And I wanted to change that. So I put that agility in there because I think it is important when you sign a contract. Now, the contract may start three or four months later when you actually put the team, but then this team got to work with a sense of urgency on the project. And that's why this agility doesn't mean just do it quickly. It means work with a sense of urgency, attention to detail, but deliver the project in a, in a timely fashion. So that's how the name Bioagiletics uh, came to exist. And, and uh, by the way, I have to tell you, I think still for some of the clients, it is a little bit hard to pronounce it. But once you start, you know, Using bioagilytics as a CRO, or you work for BioAgilix. After a few months, I think you get used to the name.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, the meaning behind it means a lot, and actually, we uh, at a at a sales meeting last year, uh, we were playing this game, and and uh, one of the questions I had was. The BD uh, team had to spell BioEggulitics as fast as they could, and then they got points based on who wrote it correctly the fastest. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. But exactly. Uh, but it's it's also a, it's a great marketing name though because it's really easy to remember, right? It uh, it sticks in your sticks in your mind. So I think we'll hit six hundred employees this month. I think is what uh, what we heard, and and uh, three locations over a hundred thousand square feet of space, growing even more. We'll have multiple additional locations this year, but. Give me a picture of what it looked like in 2009. I, I don't even know. I, I haven't heard all the stories with COVID and whatnot. It's hard to have these conversations. I don't even know if it was in the same spot or somewhere else. Tell
1: me <laughs> about that. No, it's, it's, it's actually, uh, uh, as you were reading again where we are today, BioAgeLytics with a number of employees, it really brought a smile to my face. And the reason for that is, we started mid year in 2008 not really not knowing you know with all the layoffs all the project craziness that was going on you know the farmers were really sort of uh, pretty tight with their budget because they didn't know what was about to come for them so there was a lot of unknowns we actually found this space actually where by is today um, in north carolina in rtp we found the pr- space that we could sublease for, it was a 7,000 square foot. And I never forget the first day I went in there, you know, there are three of us, the, all these rooms, 7,000 square foot. And we're like, oh my God, what did we do here? You know, it's all this open space. Of course, the funny part is a few years after that, with 50 people in the building, we were on top of each other. We couldn't wait until we expand the the the, the, the building. So, but, then, but in 2000, I would say, you know, during the first 12 months, uh, really exciting time. But within the first month, we started actually, um, signing you know, relatively large contracts with the with the with the pharmas. And the initial work was mostly biomarker work and and uh, cell-based assay related work. and then and then eventually, obviously peakK emergency picked up, which probably we do more peak imity, you know uh, today. But at the end of the twelve months, if my memory uh, uh, serves me right, you know we had about uh, fifteen or sixteen employees. We had seven customers, but these seven customers become very loyal customers early on. In particular, two of them, you know, really helped us, you know, get a good number of projects into the lab. And, you know, with 16 people, and I could not believe, you know, when at the end of probably about 12 months or 18 months or so, we we looked at our, our books and we saw that we have actually managed to bring in about a couple million dollars of revenue. And we all looked at each other and it was... More than just the funding and having the door open, it was such a great satisfaction, at least for me and the team that was working with, with, with me, that we have sort of proven to ourselves in a relatively small way that our model of hiring really good experienced scientists, training them properly, make sure these scientists know how to be client-driven, client-oriented scientists is the key for growth and success. And it was as simple as that. And that was really planting the seed properly with the right culture, with the right people um, early on.
0: Yeah, well, you talked about the culture and that's so important. And I think that's that's something we still uh, talk about today. One of the quotes that I think everybody at BioAgeLytics has heard from you at one point or another is, building a culture with leaders at every level. Uh, what what does that mean to you? And why is that such an important statement to you?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Look, I mean, I mean, before even, that's one of the statements that I use quite a bit or the quotes, and, 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 but the other one that I want to also mention that I probably use even more is that our IPR are people, okay? I will talk about that a little bit and then I will also answer your question because again, I am absolutely a true believer our IPR people. And one of the things that I love about our current CEO that you know, has been here for about 10 years now Mr. Jim Dayton, when he came for interview and I told him that he looked at me and and he goes, I love this. And I said, Jim, if you want, you know, if you really believe that, that the success of a Sierra has to his people, then come and join me. It has nothing to do with anything else. We have the right people, the right scientists. We train them the right way. This business will be successful, and of course, the credit goes to Jim now. That has taken a company that my vision was fifty or hundred people, has taken it to almost six hundred people. So I want to I want to acknowledge that. Now, in terms of you know building a culture with leaders at every level, look, everyone at Bio is a leader in a different way. Some manage uh, you know a large number of people, a number of projects, and some may just lead their own work. And maybe only one project for one client. But we make sure that our employees uh, do really understand and believe that at small capacity or large capacity, they are all leaders at some level. And by now having the employees feel that and really believe that they are leaders at just different levels, then we say, okay, what are the things that are expected of a leader that we hold them accountable and they should hold themselves accountable. And that accountability, it has to do with act with integrity. This is something that, Chad, you know within our organization, we always talk about you don't push anything under the rug. We have seen the examples of CRs that have done that and, and and for the right reason got in trouble with FDA. We act with integrity at bioagilytics. We do what is right for the projects, what is right for the client. And if we do something wrong, we make sure we bring it to the surface and we'll fix it. You know, we want to make sure that as these leaders at different levels, that they're goal-oriented and they achieve results. This is, you know, every client that comes to us, they have projects that are very much on a timeline, on a budget, and we have to respect that. So we got to, at every level, be uh, goal-oriented and achieve results. This is something that I love about our employees, and I'm so glad the culture is still there from three employees to now about 600 employees. That we have a winning attitude. You know, there was there was for me the level of frustration when I was previously in my pharma career, also into a CRO, they would basically take me my simple project, but the hard one, they're like, Well, I'm not sure. So it's like, well, <laughs> I need support for all my projects. Um, I'm I'm really proud to say that, you know, our employees they have this winning attitude. We can do it. What you know, think outside the box. What I love about our leaders at the high level, you know, our I would say directors and vice presidents, they really work hard to make sure they bring the best out of people. We all have God-given talents. We all have some, you know, there are things that we're good at. And there's some things that, no, you know, it takes extra time and effort for us to do it. And so the management team, they are absolutely, the way they lead and they act as leaders to bring the best out of our people is is something that, that that I love seeing every day. The other part here is that it's very important. I think as leader, you always want to go ahead and make sure that you train yourself, always seek to learn more, and you also want to train those that report to you. And it's only through that process that the entire team grows together. And I would say, I I, I left maybe the best or the most important thing for the last uh, to mention is that I like to believe that our leaders and our organization today what they're good at is they learn from their mistakes. This is science. It is sometimes trial and error. And we work closely with our clients. And if we make a mistake, we see what went wrong. If it's a mistake that was, you know, obviously we did something wrong, we have to repeat it and do it wrong, right? But, but then there are mistakes that, that is just science and we try something. And A and B doesn't work and C seem to be working. So now why is C working and learn from that and move forward, really analyzing what needs to be done. So I think this is very important, this concept of building a culture with leaders at every level.
0: I'm soaking it all in. Uh, I'm already thinking I can't wait to re listen to uh, everything you talked about and, and take a few more notes. And because what, what really comes to heart is that we are there, right? The organization is operating, you know, exactly as you talked about and the ownership. It's a big family. It's a family of 600. That's it. It seems crazy to say it, but it's, uh, but it feels true, right? I can't wait till I can get out and visit some of the sites and talk to some of the people and meet some of these family members I've never met. But uh, what advice, I'll, I'll say for me, what advice? for me to carry on the legacy and the tradition in the future as we as we go forward over the next 5, 10 years?
1: Well, first of all, Chad, you're an incredible leader yourself, and I'm so grateful you are part of BioAgeolytics. And um, I can tell you when we wanted to hire you, we knew that your culture is... Uh, very similar the way you practice um, to bioagilist culture. Culture is very important for us. You know, when you grow the company with, you know, 20, 30, 40 people a month or so, you know, you got to make sure that you put system and processes to maintain that. And that starts with, you know, hiring the right people. So I can't really give you advice because you're an incredible individual yourself, but I will sort of want to share with you some of the key elements that I believe are in place that all the leaders of abajolytics should continue grooming and i think it will make the abajolytics continue being you know successful you know we have managed to build a culture that that really revolves around hiring the best it starts with hiring the best but, but that's not enough. Then you have to go ahead and provide the best training on a routine basis for these individuals. These trainings can happen within the company and also, you know, on, on these days on Zoom or, you know, once the COVID is over to actually go to, na- to national and international meetings and, and really learn. It is very important that our employees continue to understand the importance of Biogilics being a client-driven organization. Without good clients, without good projects, without their faith in bioagilitics there is no bioagility. So that's very important. It is also very important that you know we continue making sound, solid decisions based on science and data. We don't do voodoo science here. We do science and we make decisions. And sometimes you gotta involve the client to make those decisions, you know, along along with you. One of the key factors, I don't think I've ever been in any organization. That you have such a big group now, and we still work as a team. Uh, being a team-oriented organization, it is so important. And I have to again give the credit to our HR, to our CEO, to all of our executive team that by they're setting example by that. It is good for the organization to question each other, to argue about you know what is the best way to proceed. But then we lock arms and we move forward. And I think our employees see that. And by seeing that, they're going to mimic, at obviously, at their level, at a smaller, you know, in the laboratory, smaller team. This is something that, for a while, I was worried about, you know, if the organization gets bigger, what are we going to do with this? You know, but but we've done it well. It's about think outside the box. It, you know, when you're a small company of 10 or 20, you do think outside the box because you have to survive. But when you when the companies get to a thousand, two thousand, people just they go into their little silo, into their own little office because and and they here's you know they just do A through B and then I'm going to throw it over the wall and somebody else is going to take care of C through D, and that's not the organization that we want to have. And I'm I'm happy to say we're not that. Thinking outside the box, working together, transparency is very important. Now, I want to also mention around uh, something around the you know our, our our culture of open door policy, and accountability. You can pretty much walk up and down the hall and you will not see, unless there's a conference call, you know, closed doors. The CEO is not in there in his office. The CFO is not just in his office. The door is open. We encourage people to go and have a conversation with them at all different level. You know, you don't have to just talk to your direct, you know, boss. You can actually go talk to your boss's boss and and have ideas and and do a brainstorming. That is something that is extremely important. I hope we can continue doing that. I have no doubt that if we continue harnessing, uh, promoting, continuing some of the cultures that have been embedded within the bio you know, employees, team members that, yeah, you know, in 2008, there were three of us. In 2009, there were 15, 16 of us. Uh, in 2013, there were 50 of us. And today, in 2021, we, there are about 600 of us. And I really foresee if we can harness this culture and continue doing what we're doing that, who knows, in three, four, five years, there will be several thousand employees, several continents, multiple laboratories. And that's just really exciting for me as a founder to just look and see where this organization is going now with all these amazing leaders that including yourself and our, you know, all the executives that are now you know, driving this company.
0: Well, I couldn't be more excited to be a part of it, uh, Afshin. And, and uh, what's incredible is that not only have you done all this in growing BioAgeLytics, but you're involved in so many other things. And I want to ask you about a few of those, because sometimes it seems like every time we have a conversation, there's <laughs> there's another venture that, uh, that Afshin's involved in. So we'll touch on a few, but I, I don't even think we're going to touch on all of them. But... Uh, Tell us about your involvement with Chimeron. Chimeron's an exciting company. It's going to be big. It's going to be big, I think. So, tell us about it.
1: I appreciate that. First of all, you know, I, I want to I want to, you know, I am still involved quite a bit with Bioanalytics. That that has that was my baby and I love that company and I'm on their board. I'm still advisor and and very much involved and um, you know, I still get you know probably a good hundred emails from Bioanalytics. So, so I am and I'm I'm involved with the growth, obviously. So I'm loving you know again, still my involvement with Bioanalytics, and that will continue uh, for years to come.
0: We won't let you out of it,
1: <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> and so, look, you mentioned Chimera on Bio. It was about two years ago when you know I was fortunate and I came um, across a husband and wife team that had started working on a self-amplifying RNA technology. Of course, right now, everybody talks about RNA, but two years ago, people were not. Uh, the two individuals, I'd I like, I like to acknowledge them, Dr. Jolly Mizumdar and Dr. Tim Chandramada. And both of these, you know, CEO and the, CSO of, and the co-founders of Chimera on Bio, they actually had developed a novel nanoparticle technology called CHASER. And the CHASER, again, it, 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 it stands for Chimera Enhanced Self-Amplifying RNA. And they basically harness the property of the self-amplifying RNA and synthetic genomics to engineer novel RNA drugs. And these unique particles really led Chimeron to encase and protect the mRNA and deliver it to various tissues. So I'm so excited because this little company, I'm the chairman of the board with them, I'm an investor. This small company, we actually now have two COVID vaccines that are in development. These vaccines are the RNA based on mRNA technology. Right now, animal studies have shown that they are the only RNA technology, as far as I'm aware, that they are stable in the refrigerator, two to eight degrees, not in a minus 80 or minus 100. For up to two months, we have some earliest evidence that it is probably stable even in room temperature. We're working on that. And and we're now actually a month ago, we start working on the and the African variants of it. So, this is so exciting because the company at this stage that we got to bring a CFO, we got to go in and bring a CMO, we're doing the fundraising. So, it, it is something that, again, is very close to my heart. So, I am hoping that I can chat, come back to your uh, podcast maybe shortly in the future and, and along with this, with the CEO of Chimeron Bio and tell you about where we are today. Very exciting. We're also working on an oncology vaccine, we're working on rare disease. Very exciting time for Chimera on Bio. Good for them, good for, you know, human health, because I think they're into something really good.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And and, uh, just another way that you keep busy. And what about the vaccine allows it to be stable at room temperature? Because obviously that's a big topic of conversation, the mRNA and the mRNA are the most exciting
1: vaccines for me, right? I'm going to keep it short. In essence here is, you know, if you look at a lot of the RNA technologies, they basically encapsulate, they, they synthesize RNA, They have to synthesize the lipid, and then they gotta put it it together. It is not a very efficient way of doing this. And by the way, those lipids, they're not very stable uh, when when, when they're not in a minus 80 to a minus 100. Well, what this technology allows, it actually, the RNA is encapsulated in a protein vessel. And this, so it's one simple construct that you transfect the cells with a double-stranded DNA. This double-stranded DNA basically codes for the self-amplifying region for the RNA of interest, which in this case the S protein for the COVID, and then also for the glycoprotein that codes the entire RNA, right? So, and and so it is incredible that you know you basically transfect the cell, the cells, mammalian cells, and then the mammalian cells are actually making these vesicles with the mRNA in it, with the self-amplification that is already embedded in there, spits it out in the media, and you do purification, and you're ready to go. And because of that, not dealing with you know, protecting the RNA with a lipid particle, that is something that is, uh, you know, and, and I'm excited, actually, the, one of the, I think the first three or four founders of Moderna and their chief scientific officer, ex-chief CF, CF, uh, scientific officer, joined us a couple of months ago as advisor. So we're just, this company I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, it reminds me, actually, by the way, of BioAgilix early days, except one is a CRO, one is a, one is a biotech.
0: That's really, really exciting, actually. And uh, I love it. I love to see the evolution of the science, right? So in in one way, uh, Chimeron is coming behind, right? So you can feel like, oh, where were they with the vaccine? But they're coming, uh, they're stepping up the game, right? And that's going to, uh, COVID is not going to go away. We, we all wish it would, but it's not going to go away for a long, long time, I don't think. And, and so we're going to need new and more
1: effective vaccines. There is a connection here, you know, I mean, companies like, you know, Chimera and Bio and companies like Chimera and Bio cannot go to where they need to go without companies like BioAgyletics. Or biologics, because, you know, the, I mean, all of you, obviously, all the safety talks, you know, the preclinical clinical studies that need to be done. Um, so it's all at the end of it. It's all, you know, we're one big happy family, right? That we all got to support each other for human health.
0: Without a doubt. So, okay, so another thing, I love dogs. I've got two of them at my feet right now. I'm hoping they don't start barking, but maybe they'll get excited when we talk about Canine Biologics. But that's another company focused on uh, Canine Biologic, focused on canine oncology uh, treatments and diets,
1: right? Chad, there are so many smart people out there. And it's just a matter of talking to people and learning about their passion and then see how you want to, if you want to get involved with them and help them to, to go somewhere. And so about two years ago, I was so lucky. I came, you know, across, you know, this individual, uh, Mr. Jeff uh, Sutherland, uh, who's the CEO and the founder of of K9 Biologics. And, you know, I was sitting, I was talking to him and he started, I just realized this man is so passionate about dog and dog health and and we started talking and he started telling me about you know the nutritional product that he's working with so to sort of fast forward you know we partnered um, to work on a really a nutritional product to support dogs fighting cancer why there are over 10 million dogs that in u.s alone end up with cancer and they usually can live maybe about eight months nine months maybe a year but during this time there's no reason for the dog to suffer, to just be sitting there. And you can do chemotherapy and a lot of other things. But at the end of it, there's enough data out there that's shown that if you, with the proper diet and support, um, nutritional support, these dogs can actually live a health, almost semi-healthy life and the family can still enjoy them until the day, obviously, they will they will pass away. So, you know, uh, for us, you know, we we developed a complete and totally integrated Nutritional system that that really brings together three parts. Um, a, you know, one is food. Um, obviously, the salmon oil and a really a unique supplement mix um, that is that is uh, sort of comprised of uh, plant extracts, amino acids, vitamins, minerals that are really selected. We just didn't put it put this whole gamish together. It's actually they're selected based on scientific data and positive impacts. On dogs, you know, digestive immune system. Again, I was, I never had a dog until I, I and, and, and I still don't, but I have to tell you, now that I talk about dogs, I get as passionate as I talk about human health because I am surrounded at canon Biologics with people that really do care about you know, uh, you know these dogs that are suffering, and there's so many great stories. We have had people come knock on our door. My dog is dying. You know what can you do? And I'm like, well, the product is. This was about a year ago. The product is not ready. We're like, can I, can you please do a mix for me? And and we have some great stories that have been in the in the media.
0: Wow, that's uh, yeah amazing. And um, another venture that uh, I mean, you're so full of stories and, and involvement. Uh, Gander. So <laughs> what is what is Gander?
1: Oh, yeah. So, uh, Gander, of course, you know, the name probably, you know, th- you know sort of describes it. You know, Gander are those geese that are sort of, you know, very territorial and they sort of look to see what's around. Well, this is really cool. You know, I, I ended up uh, about, I don't know, maybe, you know, half a year ago, six, seven months ago. I came across, uh, you know, a founder and, and, a, and, a, and a sort of board member that I start talking to him about this idea that they have come up with a, with a system that really connects AI face recognition and they connect that to uh, HR and payroll. And I was thinking, wow, that's pretty amazing because, you know, you know who's coming, who's who's going. You sort of, you know, automatically, you know, can calculate a payroll if they're taking their break. There's so many factors that come into play. There's so many things that we can, solutions that this, this or for so many different industries that this this technology can provide solutions. And they were in the beta testing. And I started actually looking at the beta testing that they were doing. And I got really excited, interested. You know, Lam Wu is the founder there. And uh, Rob is one of the, again, people that, the board members and we started talking and the next thing you know, you know, I'm involved with this company as an investor, as a board member. It's a $33 billion, you know, industry that that doesn't have a really a solid solution. So so I am so excited. Not in any way, form, or shape. Am I a fintech guy? I'm a biotech guy. But you know, I think some of my business uh background around how to set up a company, around the marketing, you know, comes into play. So I am glad to be part of their team and I really think that over the next, um, of course, you know, we were like, for example, two days ago, we were talking about starting the, you know, our website, right, to design it. So this is really a seed stage, early stage. The difference is that they already have a product which is in beta testing. So it's, it's a little bit of a reverse of, you know, you set up the website first. So I'm, I'm really excited again working with them.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And a few years ago, uh, and I don't know exactly how how far back, you moved out to Colorado, and uh, we we sort of share the. The, we're, we're the Colorado office of bioagiletics, I guess you could say, right? So I have a place out there, too, as you know, and, and, uh, in, and you're in Cherry Hills Village. And I'm curious both what drew you out to Colorado and and, uh, and now you're a councilman at Cherry Hills Village. There's a story in there. Would you mind sharing that with us?
1: Absolutely. You know, first of all, you know, i got to tell you, I've lived, uh, you know, in different parts of the U.S. Uh, for the past uh good, probably 30 plus years, 40 years or so. And so, you know, in, in Southern California, you know, in, in uh, Kentucky, in Georgia, uh, in Maryland, in North Carolina, of course, you know, now I called the Colorado home. And um, part of it is, you know, my, my family loves skiing. So, you know, I, think I had no choice other than moving here. Um, but, you know, I, I reside in Cherry Hills vi- uh, Village and small community of about 6,000 um, you know, uh, people. Um, you know, just probably ten minutes, fifteen minutes drive to downtown Denver. Small um, community, and about uh, a little over two years ago, you know, I decided to run as a councilman for my district, and. You know, it, it, I, that's actually the funny part. It was a close race. And with over 90% of the voters turning out, I managed to win by 59 individual votes. So that tells you next time when they say somebody tells you every vote counts, well, in my, count, in my case, it did count. You know, 49 individual votes was a difference. Uh, you know, the reason I got involved with the city and the council because this is my way of giving back to the, to the community. And I actually believe being a scientist has helped me, you know, in making sound and data-driven decision for the city. So you're going to probably see me, you know, uh, you know, we have a council meeting every two weeks or so, and that lasts for several hours. And probably if you look at the meeting minutes, uh, you know, I probably talk the least, uh, you know, between all the councilmen, you know, because I just don't go through as a scientist, I am trained, you know, we just go here's one, two, three, here's the data. here are the facts. here's what we do not know. what are the three solutions, what are the pros and cons and here's let's go with it, right? So I'm trying to apply that to the to, to the government and sometimes you know it works and sometimes you know it doesn't necessarily work, but it's a, it's a, it's a it's something different than that I'm involved. In. I'm very much enjoying it.
0: any future uh, additional political plans in your future?
1: Uh, well <laughs> <laughs> Chad uh let's see how this goes with the council (laughs) (laughs) and then and then you know to be honest with you i i i love just working on different projects with different people in a team-oriented atmosphere you know where this will go with any one of these endeavors um who knows? You know, I'm open to it. I love what I do. I love the people I work with. Um, I hope as it continues that I can I can have continue having the energy to to be really involved with just these different sectors.
0: Yeah, Avshan, that's so clear uh, from from our discussion. I mean, the the curiosity that you've had, uh, just just talk to people, and when you find something that's interesting, and when you have a connection, go for it. You know, and if you and if you keep those relationships real and personal, clearly. You know, it leads to success, right? If you're having fun and you're and you're doing smart things, you're making smart choices, and you're and you're having fun. I think, uh, I think you're going to have some measure of success in anything anything you do. I mean, those are there. There's some great lessons in there. You touched on uh, mentoring and, and and clearly so much of what you talked about in the story stories about. Yeah, I don't know if you use the word mentor, but it is mentoring the staff and mentoring the people and being a leader, a leader at every level. Talk about it a little bit, just in terms of being a mentor and thinking about that, because that's kind of a topic I touch on with all all of my uh, all of my guests. So
1: sure. So, so look, I mean, you know, I think throughout life, you know, you mentor people and you always have mentors yourself. That's just just the way, the only way to grow. Uh, you learn through both process by mentoring and being mentored. Uh, you know, some people use books as their mentor. Some people use their college professors. Some people use Somebody that they don't know, and they just talk for ten minutes, uh, you know, in a, in a bus stop. And I, I, can tell you that, you know, for me, mentoring it comes down to I just want for people to believe and uh, follow their dreams. As a mentor, to be honest with you, what I do, I sort of, you know, play as a devil's advocate with them. I say, tell me your ideas. I love to hear it, and I just ask a few questions to see, you know, have they thought through it completely. And also during that process, it comes down to are they passionate enough to really pursue because, you know, their their dream. That's very important. Having a dream is one thing. Having the passion and the drive to go after it is what makes a difference. And, And so from that perspective, really that's what I bring into the game with them. Of course, some of the business and science experience comes into that as well to mentor them. At the same time, I wish I could actually find the name of every professor, teacher, anybody that I had from first grade, and write them a thank you letter. You know, I've, I've been very fortunate, I've been very lucky to now have a relatively comfortable life, and I attribute that to every person that ever um, I came across that taught me something, from first grade all the way through, you know, UC high school, UCLA, and and all the universities, everything that I've gone through, and and even the you know the CEOs, the vice president, other people that I worked with. Um, you always learn from, from other people's, from, you know, you learn what to do or what not to do, right? But I, I do want to acknowledge that um, aside from the business and the science, I would say, you know, my my father, really the credit, I'm going give to give him the credit that from a mentorship perspective, he taught me how to live right. And that was his message to his three son. So I've always throughout my life, I try to whatever company I work with, um, I've always tried to stay ethical, live right. Have I always been able to do that and be 100% on that? Probably not. I'm as as a human, I've also made mistakes. But this is the thing that that I've always strived for: to be ethical and live right. And make sure you, you treat people the way you like to be treated, you know, which is pretty much the common theme in all the religions, right? So so with that, I think, I think you know, we all are mentors and being mentored at the same time. Again, another long answer to your, to your question, <laughs> that's, my that's apologies. Good. No, no, you
0: don't <laughs> need to apologize. That's why you're you're here so that we can hear your story and, and hear your insights. And it, it's been inspiring. And I really enjoyed it. And 20, 2020 was not the year we all thought. If you go back, we well, have to go back a little over a little over a year now. Actually, I was thinking here that you know, about this time a year ago, there were a few people, probably, uh, probably Arno Krominga of, of BioAgilix. You might have been saying, "2020 is not going to be the year we're all hoping." There's this, there's this virus. Exactly. Coming. Look yes. out, guys! But, uh, but during that time. Uh, a lot of people had extra time or used their time in different ways. They weren't spending time in the airplanes. W- were there any activities that you picked up or really focused on uh, in 2020 and into 2021 that, that, that you're doing different than you had ever before?
1: <laughs> Great question. Let me let me break it into maybe a couple, sure. couple things, work-related and sure, not work-related. Sure. You know, uh, I, I just, after the, you know, with the COVID and we all went on Zoom, I realized that how much time I was wasting in planes, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the level of uh, conversation and everything else that I have with clients or other people is still the same. And in fact, I've spent, I've been more efficient with my time. And now I've actually got involved with more companies uh, you know, compared to if I was going to be in the plane. So that's that's one thing. I'm just loving sitting eight hours behind my, you know, eight ten hours a day behind my, you know, behind, you know, on these Zoom calls and just talk to so many interesting people. Um, so so that from from work perspective, I can tell you, I'm busier even than before, and more productive probably. Uh, but I have picked up two hobbies, uh, you know, in a socially distanced fashion to be to be you know safe. One is actually hot yoga. I am addicted <laughs> to hot yoga now. <laughs> that's great. And, and that's I great. know it, it's uh, people who know me, they're like, how can you stay still and actually you know, meditate in a hot room? And I'm loving it. Maybe that's what was missing from my life. And the second part is, I picked up uh, snowboarding a couple of years ago. Of course, I'm not the best snowboarder. I still go on green and sometimes attempt blues, blue runs, but I am just loving it. And uh I just wish I'd picked up both of those earlier in life. The only thing I want to leave you by, in case if you're, if you're um, skiing in Breckenridge and, and you see some guy, you know, with, is like having the most dramatic fall, you know, three 360s and wearing a neon green pants and all over them, you know, falling head first, that's me. <laughs> So that's me. Just come and help were you me get a, up. Were you ever a skier? <laughs>
0: were you a skier converted to snowboarding, or did you just go right into
1: snowboarding? Yeah, I was a skier with a bad knee, so that's why I've, I've converted. But I'm telling you, actually, I'm going to go to Breckenridge this week and uh, this weekend and spend a day there. And uh, again, my my go, my only goal is just when I'm going down, not to hurt other people or hurt myself. That's pretty much my my, my mission as <laughs> yeah, well I do well, that. Yeah,
0: uh, I'll be out there in a couple of weeks. I can't wait. I need to need to get back to the slope. So. Uh, Avshin I gotta ask you one other thing. So um, you, you mentioned two two new hobbies you picked up recently, but I believe you also have become a rapper. And I would love it if you would rap for us today.
1: Oh my God, Chad, you are putting me on a spot. You know, it was funny. One of our um, our the head of our BD a couple of years ago, Beth Hines, actually made me a T-shirt that he says "Little Af." <laughs> um, so so I guess I guess oh, you I know have. they say well you know lit I off. so uh but now um let me let me uh let me see what I can come up with. I'm come up with one now. Okay, so are you ready, Chad? I'm ready, I think. Let's do it. My name is Af. I make people laugh. Every time you see me, I'm taking a bath. One day I was standing book in hand when I saw Afshin, the bike man. He's lean, he's mean, he's a bike on his machine. He's the craziest doctor I've ever seen. I don't think you saw that, but I dropped the mic.
0: I saw that. You Well, yeah,
1: you definitely dropped the mic.
0: That was absolutely brilliant. Afshin, thank you so much for being a guest. I have enjoyed this conversation so much, and, and I it couldn't have ended a better way than uh, with that rap. So... Any last words uh, that you want to share with the with the guests today?
1: Well, look, uh, Chad, I really appreciate you spending time with me and and getting into the agile story and some of the other companies that I'm involved. And in. you know, again, first of all, thank you very much. I also want to thank all, you know everybody else that are listening and followers of your podcast. And the last thing is, you know, I really want to just acknowledge, um, you know, as a founder. Um, you know, with, with BioAgilics and any one of these other companies I'm involved with, you don't build a company by just an individual or with just the vision of an individual. A company is built by a team. And going back to BioGeolytics, there was a team of uh, probably 10 or 15 people that came in 2008, 2009 to help me build what is bioagiletics today? And then every year, additional team members come. You know, when Jim Dayton came as a CEO, you know, we had 50 people. Then we had uh, Mark Better, you know, our HR. We had our CFO. We had Nick, our Morasco. you know, our chief commercial officer. And and again, more and more people and yourself, you know, you guys join in. And uh, it's just, it's, it really, it really does take, I know it's a cliche, it does take a village. It does take a, team to build a company and i'm proud to be part of BioAgilytics today and um, again i wish everybody the best and thank you again for your time and for allowing me to talk 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 to you and your and your audience
0: Avshan, thanks so much that's another uh, mic drop moment and that is all for this episode if you enjoyed today's episode uh, please be sure to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify or your favorite podcast app so you never miss a conversation If you'd like to hang out with us, BioAgilitics, outside of the podcast, we have many webinars and other presentations available for your enjoyment and education. Visit BioAgilitics.com to see what's coming up and how you can stay in touch. And don't forget to keep an eye out for more episodes of Molecular Moments coming soon. We're looking forward to some additional great guests. We'll have world-renowned experts talking about rare diseases, diversity in the pharmaceutical industry, new and exciting technologies, and a conversation with a patient who's benefited from the recent tremendous developments in our industry molecular moments would not be possible without the support of our sponsor, BioAgeLytics Labs. BioAgeLytics is a global contract research organization specializing in large molecule bioanalysis. Based in Durham, North Carolina, with labs in Hamburg, Germany and Boston, Massachusetts, BioAgeLytics provides high quality bioanalytical services to leading pharma and biotech companies around the world. They offer assay development, validation, and sample analysis under non-GLP, GLP, GLP, and GCP, as well as GMP quality control testing. If you are looking to work with a team of highly experienced scientific and QA professionals through all phases of clinical development, look no further than BioAgeLytics. For more information or to speak with their scientists today, visit their website at www.bioagelytics.com.
1: Thanks for listening to the Molecular Moments Podcast.